disciple. Well, now there's a fun word. Sounds like something any teen would want to do. If someone asks you, what are your plans after HSC? Is your reply similar to this one? What I'd really like to be after school is be a disciple. Yeah, right. Often the youth in church will refer to being disciples or discipleship. They will sometimes ask, do you want to be discipled? Or do you want to be in a discipleship group? Not too sure about that one. First of all, how can we be discipled when we don't even know what disciples are? I mean, I know Jesus had these disciple guys who followed him around all the time. And I know that these super religious guys who hung out with Jesus and helped him, like when blind people couldn't find Jesus or when the lepers came to him. Possibly the disciples were Jesus' bodyguards too. They tried to keep him from all these strange people, except Jesus would actually let the strange people come to him. They all seemed to be very loyal and religious, except that one guy, Judas, who finally ratted on Jesus. That's right, isn't it? The disciples were actually really dedicated to Jesus, weren't they? So when I need to be discipled, I mean to be really religious and really Christian. I need to read the Bible, pray, go to church all the time, tell everyone I can about Jesus. That's what a disciple does, right? At least that's what I used to think until I read the Bible, especially the New Testament. I was overwhelmed when I took the time to read about the real disciples. Those people were clueless. I'm not kidding. They were always messing around. Most of the time, when the disciples speak in the Bible, they're asking Jesus a question. And when he answers the question, they mostly still don't know what he's talking about. No matter what Jesus taught, the disciples didn't understand it. When Jesus said he was going to die, they didn't believe him. Just before Jesus was arrested, he asked the disciples to stay up late and pray with him, and they fell asleep. When a group of children rushed up affectionately to Jesus, the disciples tried to herd them away, only to be reprimanded by the master. The kids loved Jesus, and Jesus loved to be around the kids. After all, most adults wanted to kill him. And when Jesus died, the disciples figured everything was over and went back to their old lives, until Jesus showed up again. This raises a question. If the disciples were that messed up and still disciples, then it's possible for us to become disciples. If Jesus called that erratic, unstable, bewildered, inconsistent and questioning group of disciples to follow him, well, just maybe he will call us too. Despite what happened to the disciples when they were with Jesus, history tells us that all of them except Judas became fearful followers of Jesus. So basically, the disciples were apparently a bunch of confused, messed up people whom Jesus liked anyway. Let's not just take our word for these encounters, but let's have a look at the few experiences and emotions behind them. 
we will be sharing some stories about the disciples from the New Testament. We will look at what makes a good disciple and which qualities are central to a disciple. These qualities that we can apply in our daily lives with everyday situations. Firstly, let's have a look at what being afraid means. Happy Sabbath, church family. I'm Brandon, and today I'll be talking about being afraid. To begin with, would you guys like to turn with me to Mark 4, 35, 41? I'll be reading from the Living Bible Translation. As evening fell, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took him, just as he was, and started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon a terrible storm arose. High waves began to break, and the boat was nearly full of water and about to sink. Jesus was asleep, though, at the back of the boat, his head on a cushion. Frantically, they wakened him, shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we're all about to drown? Then he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Quiet down! And the wind fell, and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why were you so fearful? Don't you even yet have any faith in me? And they were filled with awe and said among themselves, Who is this man that even the winds and seas obey him? See, the word afraid can suggest weakness or cowardice, but other times being afraid could be considered a good thing. There's a fine line between fear that comes from weakness and fear that respects strength. It's okay, for example, to be afraid of earthquakes or cyclones or even a mouse. When his fearful disciples came to him in the middle of the storm, Jesus asked them to think about why they were afraid. As the disciples demonstrated, the best thing to do with a healthy fear is to take shelter in the Lord. You, you can bet that whatever makes you afraid doesn't get Jesus scared. Think about it. Being afraid could be a good thing. It activates all your senses, causes you to be cautious and gets your adrenaline pumping and prepares you to respond to any dangerous circumstance. To state the obvious, the disciples were afraid even when Jesus was with them. But what some don't see is that the disciples were also afraid out of respect of Jesus' power as he calmed the storm. So being afraid is a good thing when you can recognize how big, powerful, and awesome God is. When the disciples are afraid of God, it's because they respect him. The disciples were afraid of Jesus many times, but that's just one thing that made them good disciples. Thank you. Your offerings today will support Mamarafa's ongoing work of making disciple makers for the indigenous community throughout Australia. So I'd like to invite the deacons to stand uh, as we pray. Please bow your heads with me. Father God, 
uh, we'd like to acknowledge you for being the giver of all good gifts. Today, we worship you by returning our tithes and offering. We would like to ask a special blessing over the Mamarafa College and the work they are doing for the Indigenous community here in Australia. Thank you for the Sabbath day and the ability to help others in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. Today I'll be speaking about clueless. Clueless means oblivious, which is a fancy word for unaware, unsuspecting, or caught by surprise. When you're clueless, you have no idea of what is going on. You don't understand what you are seeing or hearing. You are like a blank. As far as God is concerned, most people assume that the longer you know him, the more you know about him. So maybe it's more accurate to say that the longer you know God, the less clueless you are and the less surprised you are by him. But 
It's accurate to say that the more you know about God, the more you realise how little you really know about him. What does all this mean? It means that in being disciples, we can be clueless. As you spend more time with Jesus, you become less clueless about his ways and more aware of how mysterious he really is. Think about how exciting it is to be a disciple. Friendship with Jesus is a continuous growing process in which God becomes more familiar, yet more mysterious at the same time. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13, and I'll be reading from the Living Bible. So that's Matthew 26, verse 6 to 13. Jesus now proceeded to Bethany, to the home of Simon the leper. While he was eating, a woman came in with a bottle of very expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant. What a waste of good money, they said. Why, she could have sold it for a fortune and given it to the poor. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, Why are you criticizing her? For she has done a good thing to me. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial, and she will always be remembered for this deed. The story of what she has done will be told throughout the whole world, wherever the good news is preached. Jesus' disciples were clueless. They had no idea that Jesus was about to die. Even still, they did not understand the significance of this woman's actions. They had been with Jesus throughout his ministry, and still they were clueless as to his intentions here on earth and the countless hints he had given that he was about to die. However, the more the disciples were with Jesus and had a relationship with him, the more they began to understand and know the depth of Jesus' character and his plans for the future. Like the disciples, when we first come to be in a personal relationship with Jesus, we are clueless. We are oblivious to the fact that he loves us the way we are and that through him we are saved. As we form a relationship with him, we begin to understand the depths of his love for us and his humble, compassionate character. Kids time, so... Would all the kids like to come down the front, if they can? (coughs) Um, Can all the kids, like, move over to this side? Because we're doing the skit this side, so... Get quiet, all of you. James and a couple of the others are away, but we should get this meeting started. Jesus left us with the job of sharing the gospel. 
we have to show all men that we are his disciples. Does anybody have any ideas? Yes, Peter, it is essential that we spread the word about that we are his disciples. A lot of us fish, so we could put the message on the sail of our boats and then everyone along the Sea of Galilee would get the message. We could get a span to other bodies of water. I doubt that would work. Simon, what's your idea? Well, you could get the zealots to pass out flyers. Fire? What's a fire? It's like this little scroll thing. No, I doubt that would work. Half our audience can't read. Thomas, you doubt everything. <laughs> hey guys, picture this. So, you know how all these people are getting into those circuses the Romans are always having? Well, we could start our own circus. I mean, nobody would get killed or anything, but we could have random people in the audience hold up these big signs with scriptures on them. And then the, in the middle of the battles, the gladiators could point their swords at the scriptures and... Andrew, what's your idea? We could hang up banners in the temple. Mm, dumb idea. The uh, priests and teachers of the law will probably have us torn up in us in prison in a heartbeat. Maybe not the temple, but how about every tax collector's booth? I mean, everybody t pays taxes. Matthew, I don't think we want to be associated with any tax collectors. So you don't want to associate with tax collectors? No, uh, I didn't mean retired tax collectors. Stop. It's stuff like this. Fighting and arguing that gives Christians like us a bad name. So what bright idea do you suggest? Well, why don't we just do what Jesus said to do? What do you mean? He said, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hmm, that's actually a pretty good idea. That's a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? Even I don't doubt that would work. John, you should, write, you should write about this someday in case this question comes up later on. Yeah, I was going to write a book about it. Okay, well, that's the end of the skit. Um, we have some activity books here for all the kids if they would like to get them, so, yeah. As we continue our discipleship adventure, we see how the disciples experienced many different emotions. They're afraid, clueless, especially confused. I'm pretty sure all of you have been confused before. Let me tell you a story. Grandpa and granddaughter were sitting, talking, when she asked, Did God make you, Grandpa? Yes, God made me, the grandfather answered. A few minutes later, the little girl asked him, 
Did God make me too? Yes, he did, the older man answered. For a few minutes, the little girl seemed to be studying her grandpa as well as her own reflection in the mirror, while her grandfather wondered what was running through her mind. At last, she spoke up. You know, Grandpa, she said, God is doing a lot better job lately. <laughs> See, she was confused about the process of creation. I can easily relate because when I moved to Australia, I was confused with the different words. For example, the word for rubbish here is trash in America, and torch here is flashlight in America. One of the things the disciples were confused about was Jesus' death. Please turn with me to Luke 9, verse 22. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The disciples had a totally different image of Jesus. They thought he was going to be a majestic king. But when he said he was going to suffer and die, they got totally confused. Let's stop here for a moment and think of this question. What can we learn about discipleship, especially when our path is foggy and out of view? The answer to this question is found in the Bible. Please turn with me to Luke 24, verse 6 through 8. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. This passage is telling us that the disciples continued to follow Jesus even when they didn't know what was going to happen. Discipleship or following Jesus is all about trusting God when life doesn't make sense. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Could you please turn in your Bibles to Luke 24? I'll be reading verse 13 to 19 and 25 to 27. That same day, Sunday, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles out of Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking of Jesus' death, when suddenly Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't recognize him, for God kept it from them. You, seems in it, you seem to be in a very deep discussion about something, he said. What are you so concerned about? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the terrible things that happened last week. in the last week. What things? Jesus asked. The disciples then proceeded to tell the man about all the things that had happened to Jesus. They told him how he was crucified and how they thought he had come to save Israel. They then explained how some women from their group went to visit the tomb only to find it empty and that he was alive. Some men also went to the tomb and confirmed this. Then Jesus said to them, You are such foolish, foolish people. 
you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things just before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted them passage after passage from the writings of the prophets, beginning with the book of Genesis and going right on through the scriptures, explaining what the passages meant and what they said about himself. Being discouraged isn't a bad thing. It's actually quite normal. Discouragement is the shadow side when things feel like they are going wrong and you just wake up feeling bad. But is there a way to fix it? A way to stop being discouraged and to start feeling a little better? Well, let's have a look. The two disciples in the story were feeling discouraged because life looked helpless to them. Their hopes and dreams were all in a pile, and plus, they had a million questions and no answers. They thought that Jesus had come to literally save Israel, but he had really come to spiritually save the world. So, with this in their minds, these two guys wandered down the road feeling disheartened and confused, wondering what to do with their lives now that Jesus was gone. Then they were joined by a stranger who we know was Jesus. They found it rather surprising that he hadn't heard about what had happened only a few days earlier. So they told him what had happened and explained how they were confused because he thought he had come to save them. It surprised them even more when the man scolded them and started quoting the scriptures. Though he got a little frustrated with them, Jesus reminded them of what they had forgotten. He reminded them of what was written in the Bible and used it to encourage them. In the the disciples' time of discouragement, Jesus went to them and gave them comfort and reassurance. Likewise, when we are discouraged or disheartened, Jesus wants to be with us and he will give us that same comfort and reassurance. Just as Jesus encouraged the disciples with the Bible, we can do the same. The Bible contains thousands of promises, and I mean thousands. One internet source suggests that there are 5,467 promises written in the Bible. Whether that number is correct or not, there are certainly many stories and verses we can find hope and comfort in. Whether we are confused or discouraged, we can go to the Bible to find answers, strength, courage, hope, and so much more. So is being discouraged or disheartened really that bad? Is there a solution? Well, although being discouraged feels bad at the time, we don't have to feel that way forever. The secret is to look to God. He is our rock and he provides us with the strength and comfort we need to get back up and keep on going. No matter how discouraged we get, that doesn't stop us from being disciples. We can be a good disciple no matter what the circumstances are. Would everybody please turn to John 1, verse 35 to 39. The following day, as John was standing with two of his disciples, Jesus walked by. Jesus, John looked at him intently and then declared, See, there is the Lamb of God. Then John's two disciples turned and followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. Sir, they replied, where do you live? Come and see, he said. So they went to him to the place where he was staying and were with him from about four o'clock to that afternoon until the evening. Hunger is such a strange word. It means the craving for substance such as food or water. In this case, the hunger was not food, neither water, but a hunger for God. 
there is a scene in the movie Finding Nemo where a flock of seagulls see fish flopping around on the pier. The seagulls hungrily call, mine, 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 mine. They really want to eat the fish, but they are, and they are hungry for it. In life, we can be hungry too. We can have desire for things like shoes, cars, technology, and other things. But there is a hunger in our heart no thing can fill. Only Jesus fills the hunger in our heart and takes away our loneliness. The disciples crave truth. They yearn for it. Those who sincerely want to know more, to grow more, are driven by their passion for truth. A disciple is much more than a student or apprentice. A disciple isn't satisfied with knowing more. A disciple wants to know all and to experience it all. Disciples' longing for truth makes them willing learners, eager followers, and an insatiable hunger for knowledge. That hunger is aggressive, presuming and relentless. Hungry disciples are energized by their appetite and eagerly enlists others to search for truth with them. When you lose your appetite for truth, you stop being hungry for God. Then you become comfortable and lazy. Hungry is a quality that is central to what a disciple is. The disciples never knew what was going to happen from one day to the next. They didn't have a clue what would be demanded of them every minute. No idea that following Jesus would make the rest of their lives a roller coaster of an adventure. Fear, intensity, doubt, sadness, laughter, loss, deep, friendships, terror, love, betrayal, and gratitude. It didn't seem to matter that being a disciple of Jesus eventually cost them more than their lives. What did matter to them most was that never in their wildest dreams could they have known an adventure like the one they lived. If you could talk to Jesus' disciples now, one by one, they would say, what an adventure. That is the kind of life we are looking for, and it sounds like We are just the right people Jesus is looking for. Maybe give this discipleship thing a try. Maybe you have nothing to lose. Maybe you have everything to lose. And maybe losing everything allows you to live the real experience. And maybe, just maybe, being a disciple isn't a bad way to go. Maybe it's the only way.